Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast is a ministry of Emmaus Bible College. Concerning Him seeks to enrich Christians around the globe by educating and equipping them through various media. For more information about Emmaus, please visit emmaus.edu. Hello and welcome to another episode of Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast. Today we are blessed. I'm, I'm really excited to be joined by Nate Pickowitz. Am I pronouncing that right? Is it Pickowitz? You, that's, that's right. Exactly right. After some Google searching, I found lots, lots of different ways to pronounce the name. and uh, <laughs> But I was pretty sure I found you on another podcast saying Pickowitz. So I, I just wanted to make sure. Yeah, that's right. So when I, when I would do these before, I would tell people, you can pick your friends, but you can't pick your wits. So pick a wits is how you pronounce the last name. That's very good. Well, there thank you. you. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, we're really excited. I'm really excited to have you on. Um, I want to talk about a, a book that you uh, just published recently, Why We're Protestant. Um, mm-hmm. It's a fantastic read. I got I had the privilege of reading it uh, over Christmas break. Uh, but before we get into that, Nate, I would love if you could take a few moments and just tell us about yourself. Sure. So uh, again, Nate Pickowitz, uh, I'm the teaching pastor of Harvest Bible Church, and we're in Gilmanton Ironworks, New Hampshire. And yes, Gilmanton Ironworks is the name of a town, and that's where we are. <laughs> uh, I was born and raised here. This is my hometown and uh, was raised going to church, but really didn't have a, a fervent love for Christ. I, I knew church, but I didn't know Jesus really. Um, and then uh, really sort of walked away from that life for a little while. Uh, the Lord drew me, drew me back. I met my wife when I was back in uh, in New Hampshire. I went to college in Pennsylvania at Muhlenberg College in Allentown. Again, not a Christian at that point, so I was getting a degree in music and communication and uh, came back thinking I was going to do something else. And then the Lord just got a hold of the two of us, and we were both saved and got married and began our life uh, just together. Um I was in business for a number of years thinking I was going to just do that. I had no aspirations for ministry, no aspirations for writing. I just was, you know, doing my own thing. And then just in the providence and the kindness of God um, really began to, to enliven me to the Word of God. And I've actually written a book called How to Eat Your Bible. And I trace a little bit of that discovery of the scriptures. That was some of my story, even in that book. But really, the, the love for the Word came first, mm-hmm. and then I just couldn't stop talking about it. And then within a couple of years of doing that, you know, discipling at church and leading men's ministries and eventually getting into lay leadership, and then at some point just was called into full-time ministry. Uh, we planted Harvest Bible Church uh, in 2013, so we're actually we're at the 10-year anniversary this month uh, of our church life. And... Um, just been a great joy to be able to pastor that church. Uh, my wife's name is Jessica. We have three children, uh, 12 years old, nine years old, and two years old. So quite a quite a, a fun experience with all that. And then in the margins, the Lord has also allowed me to write books, and I've done a little bit of traveling and speaking, but really writing and ministering in my local church, that's kind of where my heart beats at. So um, really just been blessed to be able to do that. And uh, I've been able to talk about a lot of these books on podcast and different things. And uh, it's just been a great, a great joy and an opportunity to share the ministry that God has given me uh, to share that with others and try to encourage others in the faith. So, uh, and that's kind of what brings us to this point, talking about this altogether. Yeah. And, and you have some, 
pretty strong opinions about kind of Christianity in the New England area. Is that right? I've heard you talk about that some. Yeah, the first book I wrote, which I put out in 2016, was a book called uh, Reviving New England. And, mm. you know, it's pretty common knowledge across America that, you know, New England is is probably the, the darkest spiritual region, maybe with the exception of the Pacific Northwest. But New England pretty much takes the cake in every category, uh, which is a very sad thing, uh, especially when you consider that really the, the heartbeat of Christianity was birthed in New England. I mean, not only do you have the you know, the pilgrims and you have the Massachusetts Bay Colony, but you have the Great Awakening. I mean, the modern missionary movement was launched out of New England. So, you know, we have a, a, a heritage and a theological heritage and a pedigree that is really distinctly New England. Mm-hmm. And now when you look at where we are, uh, the percentage of people attending church, the percentage of people professing faith in Christ, um, it's just incredibly poor. So, um, you know, a number of years ago, kind of tied to the mission of the church plant, I just began to look around. I mean, I had grown up here, so I knew what the landscape looked like. And uh, Bible churches are hard to come by. The gospel is hard to find. Um, I mean, it's just a very small, the church is very small up here. Um, And so along with planting and doing ministry and writing, uh, writing Reviving New England, I mean, it's the big idea. It's sort of a manifesto, but really, I, I believe that if we're able to be faithful we won't revive anything. Only God can revive mm. a region or a nation. But So God does the work of revival. But if we're faithful to God, and if a revival does occur in New England, I really do believe that it would send a, a strong message to the rest of the country and even to the rest of the world that God is able to do this. I think all of the, the, um, the pragmatism and the mechanics and the, the kitschiness of popular evangelicalism trying to put you know, people into seats and you know, T-shirt giveaways and all, all these different, you know, uh, mechanics that we use and, and techniques and scams that we use to get people to come to Christ. I think when you see the genuine article, when you see the word of God being preached, sinners repenting, coming to faith, growing by the ministry of the word and by the spirit, when you see that take place, it's it's jarring and you say, wow, that's the what the work of the Lord can do. So, it's been a heartbeat of mine. It's been a, a passion of mine to see uh, the churches in New England revived. Mm. And uh, really, for my part of it, I mean, I like to write about it, but really it begins doing the work of, of ministry just in my own church. And so I, I spend a lot of my time just trying to encourage our own people uh, to examine their lives and to study the Word and, and to grow in doctrine and knowledge. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's normal ministry in the context of a essentially unreached people group. That's, a, that's really where we are. Mm. Praise the Lord for that. That's amazing. Um, love to see that happen. Obviously it's, it's, it's God who does the work. Um, but, but praise the Lord for what you're doing, uh, for the role that your church has in a difficult part of the country, really. Um, I, I you know, I first got to know kind of who you are actually through Twitter, uh, funnily sure, enough, but, sure. um, I, uh, Pretty quickly after that, it was right before you guys published The American Puritans, you and Dustin Benj. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I purchased that book and I, I really, I really enjoyed it. You know, I, I remember thinking, oh man, he's a pretty good author. And then I'm thinking, well, I don't know who wrote what. But <laughs> um, but when, what was it, January of 2020 that How to Eat Your Bible came out? Is that correct? 
uh, was it 20 so, or 21? I think it was January 2021. I think was it was two it? years ago this month. 2021. Okay. Um, I think so. Yeah, that, that sounds right. I, I remember purchasing that right away. Um, and I, I love that book and it really, I would encourage people, and that's not the book we're talking about today, but, uh, <laughs> I would, I would encourage people to read that book. It really transformed the way I thought about, uh, reading scriptures daily, um, and, and thinking about my own personal Bible study. Uh, so thank you for writing that. But as we, as we can maybe try to transition here, talking about why we're Protestant, uh, maybe I'll ask you the, the simple question first. You know, you wrote this book originally in 20, 2017, um, republished it. Was it, did it come out the second edition? It came out in November or December. Is that correct? Of last yeah, year? just November of this past year. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but you originally wrote it in 2017, which would have been, uh, the 500 year anniversary, uh, of, uh, Martin Luther, right. Nailing the uh, 95 theses to the, to the, uh, Wittenberg, uh, doors. Is that correct? The castle, the, the castle, castle door. The, the that's castle, right. That's yep. right. Um, and, uh, so obviously it was a, it was a timely book. Uh, but why obvious, easy question, why write this book? Well, you got to cash in when the Protestant uh, movement is, <laughs> is paying out. No, I'm just kidding. No, so uh, it's a good question because when I finished Reviving New England, um, I, I had self-published Reviving New England, and I had this idea, you know, I, as a writer, let me just back up a little bit. As a writer, one of the things that I'm trying to do with every book that I put out, and um, I've got my sixth book coming out pretty soon with Christian Focus that'll be out hopefully by the end of this year, um, but every book I write, I, I try to just answer a question that either hasn't been answered or provide a resource uh, where there's maybe a gap. Mm. And at the time, uh, back in 2017, I, I hadn't really found very many resources that were just dealing with the five solas. There was mm. a few out there, but nothing that was really scratching the itch that I had personally. And, you know, so when the Reformation came around, the anniversary came around, uh, again, I'm in New England, so most of the people that are in my church were not familiar with the Protestant Reformation at all, and not familiar with the five solas, not familiar with Reformation doctrine. And frankly, we have a lot of Roman Catholic churches and a lot of Roman Catholic influence up here. And you think about being so close to Boston, which is like Roman Catholic central yeah. when it comes to this part of the country. Uh, so many people in my church, you know, really struggled in, in many ways with what's the difference between us and the Catholic church down the street? Um, and, and people would kind of come in to the, to the church with, with not really a, a very clear, distinct understanding. Not that they didn't deny the gospel, but it's confusing, I think, to a lot of people, what is the main difference? And that was kind of the, the question, you know, why are we Protestant? Like, what's the big deal behind that? Mm -hmm. So in, I, I preached a, a sermon series uh, in honor of the Reformation uh, anniversary, and then I took the content from that series and I turned that into the book and I published that. I self-published that uh, right away. And so that came out in, I think, October of 2017, right in time for that anniversary. And, uh, and that really, there was one reviewer uh, that, that read the book and said that it read kind of like the highlight reel of the Reformation. And I mm. liked that. I liked that categorization. And yeah. that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to just give a very simple history. I wanted to unpack each of the five solas um, and really kind of give a summation of the doctrine behind it. You know, what are the key points? And again, it's a very short book, but what are the key points? Why 
is there a distinct a, a, a disagreement and why is there a distinguishing mark between Roman Catholicism and Protestantism so that came out and uh, it did really well I was really happy with the reception uh, more people read it than I thought were going to read it which I was really thankful for I had uh, several uh, Spanish-speaking pastors who reached out to me and said you know we really need this in Latin America mm. and uh, I ended up paying to have it translated into Spanish and I published a Spanish edition um, uh, which is uh, out there somewhere okay. uh, porque somos protestantes <laughs> so <laughs> Um, so that was a lot of fun as well, but really just trying to get the content out there. Yeah. Um, so that was really the reason behind it. And then fast forward to now, um, I had always, ever since the book came out and again, you know, I was, I was really happy with how it turned out and, uh, it, it was a great joy to see it in print. But in the years that kind of passed after that, I remember thinking to myself, I, I just felt like I had more to say. And I actually went back to my church and I preached a couple more sermons and I really focused it on, on specific topics of the Reformation, namely uh, the priesthood of all believers, um, the idea of uh, simul justus et peccator, and then uh, what was the other one? I It's in the appendix there. I'm blanking. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, the theology, the theology of, the of the cross as opposed to theology yeah. of yeah. That's right. So, you know, I went back and I, I did those messages and, you know, because at that point I had been researching Protestant, the Protestant uh, Reformation movement, and I was just really fascinated by these things. And again, these were things that most of my people didn't know. Mm. So I always had it in the back of my mind, you know, if, I remember telling myself if I, if I ever had the chance to do another edition, a definitive edition, I'd want to clean up some of the other stuff in the first edition, but I want to add in those other appendix chapters. I just felt like that would make it more complete. Mm -hmm. And uh, Christian Focus uh, approached me a couple of years ago and uh, really just asked me, hey, you know, what are you working on? You know, what are you doing? And so I, I pitched him a bunch of ideas and I, I think I gave him a list of five things I wanted to do at some point in my life. And, and they were interested in two of them. And one of them was a, a, another edition of Why We're Protestant. Okay. And so um, I, I just jumped at it. I said, absolutely. So I, I grabbed the old manuscript and I put it all back together. And so the edition that's out now is, is the original book plus three appendix chapters. And really, it's a more definitive look at sort of giving people the, the warp and woof of the Reformation movement. Yeah. And <clears throat> including those three appendix chapters, I think it's... 147 pages or something like that, yeah, which it's is very short, which is, but it makes it for a nice, uh, brief overview as opposed to, and I think you recommend them in the book. I think of like Matthew Barrett's, uh, kind of the five different books on the five solas. He, he was a general yes. editor. He wrote one of them. Um, was it Tom I think Sh he wrote Schreiner? Scriptura. Yeah. Tom Schreiner wrote, wrote one. Carl Truman wrote one, a few others. Um, and those are, yeah. <clears throat> <clears throat> those are fantastic. They're a little bit more academic in nature. Um, and you know, it's, it's a 200 page book for one of the solas as opposed to, uh, 147 for all five. And, right. uh, what that provides in this book is, is a really nice overview. And I thought about, uh, this is a great resource for somebody who maybe hasn't heard of the five solas or they have, but they don't know what they are. They don't know what you're talking about. Um, it really serves as as a great overview, as well as kind of just you just get little bits and pieces of Reformation history, which was I really enjoyed. It wasn't necessarily a whole overview of the Reformation or but it, it served kind of as an introduction maybe to 
some main characters of the, of the Reformation. And, and I think that somebody that hasn't studied the Reformation or spent a lot of time thinking about that would really benefit from just these little bits and pieces. Could you, <clears throat> maybe for some of our guests, just walk through the five solas? That would be wonderful. Yeah, so it's interesting because when you think about the five solas, and these are all Latin phrases here, but you know the the reformers didn't sit down and say, "All right, guys, we got to think about five five solas <laughs> that's going to characterize our theology." But really, where the five solas came from is they became these reoccurring themes mm-hmm. in the course of the Reformation movement, and you know, there's been a lot of academic discussion about how germane these five solas are to the original Reformation thought. But but really, when you boil down all of the writings of Luther and Calvin and Zwingli and Knox and, you know, and Tyndale and all these other people, you know, what are the, what are the, what's the real uh, force behind the movement? And, and really, what are the, what are the main errors that the reformers were trying to correct and reform within the Catholic Church? And they really began with sola scriptura, which is by scripture alone. And scripture alone, meaning that the scriptures are our, our final and full authority. It's not that we don't care about creeds and catechisms and, and even the history of the church, the witness of the church. That's not it. But, but over and against you know, Roman Catholic, the magisterium, the, the papacy, does the papacy and the church have the final authority on life and practice, or is it the scriptures? And mm-hmm. so the reformers were over and over again, we're saying, no, the scriptures have final authority. So that becomes the baseline for where you're working. And then from that, they said, okay, well, if we're, we're basing everything on scripture alone, then we understand that salvation is by God's grace alone. We're not relying on anything else. You know, it's God's grace working in us and, 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 uh, and changing us. It's by his grace and by his working not by the will of man, not by the will of, of a person. And Luther gets in a huge battle uh, over the issue of the will. He has a book called The Bondage of the Will, and he argues against Erasmus over that very thing. So it's by God's grace alone, and that comes through faith alone, sola fide, uh, that it's not by uh, works. And, and a Roman Catholic uh, believer would tell you that, well, we don't believe in faith plus works, but they don't regard a lot of their rituals and their practices as a work. Mm. They don't believe in penance as a work or sacraments as a work. But the Reformers are saying, no, no, anything that you do outside of faith alone in Christ is a work of the law, essentially. And so they were saying that we don't have to come and, and you know, uh, attend Mass and partake of the sacraments and, and do this work of you know, paying for, for penance and paying for purgatory. You know, we're not paying anything. We're not doing anything. It's purely by faith alone in Christ Jesus. And then in terms of the sufficiency of the work of Christ, uh, it's not Christ plus other mediators. It's not Jesus Christ plus the work of Mary or the intercessory work of other saints. It's Christ alone who is the sole sufficient sacrifice for sins. And so we have solus Christus there. And then the final one was soli deo gloria, which is that all of life is to be done soli deo gloria for the glory of God alone, that, uh, that we are doing everything. So the reformers began to construct this grid of there is no sacred and secular. There mm-hmm. is no uh, clergy and laity distinction that all people, all Christians, the priesthood of all believers can do all things for God's glory. So, you know, Luther has the old saying that, uh, you know, if you're, a, 
if you're a Christian cobbler and you're making shoes, you know, it's not that you're a Christian cobbler. You're, you're a, a cobbler who has a faith in Jesus and you make a good pair of shoes, whether you're a Christian or not, but your faith in Christ motivates everything that you do. So you can, you can make a pair of shoes to the glory of God. And so that was the big idea is that we want to, we want to reform and reclaim all of life for God's glory. So those five solos became really hallmarks of thought of reforming or reformation doctrine. And they really became kind of the, uh, the main thrust of that movement. And certainly there are more things out of that, but those are the five main ones that, uh, that we really need to understand. Yeah. And thank you for that. It, It appears to me, you know, in calling this book why we're Protestant, <clears throat> you're you're doing two things. Uh, you are you're one differentiating from uh, the Roman Catholic Church, uh, especially the historic Roman Catholic Church, but even the Roman Catholic Church today. Um, mm-hmm. and, but also, two, it's not a uh, why we're a specific domin- denomination. Why we are. Um, even evangelical, it was simply why we're Protestant, and right. there there it appears to me that there's a bit of a unifying factor in, in the five solas in a way, um, in that I think through people with different uh, theological disagreements under uh, under the broad category of Protestantism, right? And yet we have, in a way, those who hold to these five solas. There is a unifying aspect in that uh, how we understand what salvation is and how we understand what the purpose of life is being for the glory of God. Um, it, it just, it, it became, as I was reading it, I was just thinking a lot about that aspect of unity, unity under, uh, through doctrine, through truth, and, and these kind of being very representative of how Christians with different maybe secondary or tertiary differences can be unified. It's interesting that you mentioned that because when when the book first came out, I got a lot of pushback, as you can imagine, from (laughs) Roman Catholics. But I got quite a bit of pushback from Baptists, believe Mm. it or not. And I'm I'm Baptistic in my theology, and I would claim myself to be a Baptist. But a lot of them, and it depends on which group of Baptists you're talking about, but the argument was, well, listen, we're not Protestant, we're Baptist. (laughs) But what they they didn't understand is that Without that Protestant heritage, without that break from Rome, um, even though there were movements that were already moving, you know, in and behind the scenes, but without that Reformation, we wouldn't have the prevalency of denominations, and we certainly wouldn't have the the broad uh, prevalency of Baptist denominations without that theological heritage. Mm. Now, of course, you know, God God preserves His remnant through the course of history. I understand all of that. Um, but the point is, is that, you know, we, we are to, to pay honor to whom honors do. And I think it's, you know, no Baptist worth their salt would deny the truths of the five solas. Um, I mean, even their earlier, the early particular Baptists, which is where the Baptist movement comes from, they believed in God's grace alone. I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of free will, I mean, we're talking about a, a heritage that goes far earlier than, than most Baptists even today would, would, would talk about. So, and again, I'll even say that, and I'll probably get some flack for that as well. <laughs> That's fine. I, I don't mind that. But the point is, is that when you're making a very large sweeping statement about a very large movement, 
you're, you're going to have, uh, you know, different things that fall through the cracks and you're not going to be able to hit every single thing. Otherwise I'd be footnoting this book until, you know, it was 500 <laughs> pages long, you know? So you, you, in the nature of writing a short book, you're, you're going to miss some things. You're going to miss some nuance, but that really wasn't the point. You know, the point is like you're saying to, there's a unifying factor here. There's a reason that we as Christian believers are not subject to Rome. There's a reason that we don't practice all of the liturgy of Rome. And there's a very good reason why we don't. And I think that's got to be the key thing. And even the title itself, Why We're Protestant, uh, I, I titled it that way uh, because I wanted it to be used as an apologetic, mm. that if you're, if you're Protestant, you're growing up in a, a Bible church, and you know, you're talking to Roman Catholic friends or family, you can hand them a book and say, well, you know, you're curious about why I'm Protestant. Well, here, here's some reasons. Yeah. And the book is set up even apologetically, and there's there are defenses, biblical defenses against key points of Roman Catholic doctrine. So, um, you know, I really wanted it to be a, to be apologetic as well, um, so that it was it was a defense for what we believe biblically. Throughout the book, as I mentioned earlier, and I think you mentioned earlier, you you do kind of touch on. Uh, some key figures of the Reformation, you, you, you know, Luther and Zwingli and Calvin and a few others. Um, I, you know, this is, you're not the first person I've asked this question to in this podcast. Uh, we had our, 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 um, one of our Bible profs here at Emmaus who, who loves church history, Mark Stevenson on, we talked about the history of the Reformation. Um, I had a, a brother and historian on Tim Grass and we, we talked about just studying church history in general, but I'll ask you as well, could you talk some about the importance for Christians to study, uh, I would say, church history in broad, but maybe specifically uh, Reformation history? Absolutely. So it was interesting. I, I just wrote an endorsement for a biography that I finished reading today. Mm. And in the opening line of that endorsement, I say that church history is, uh, is the providence of God uh, displayed and lived out through his people. And, and that's what it is. So all of church history, frankly, all of history in general, but certainly all of church history is God's history. It, it's the working out of his providential plan and his salvific and saving plan in the lives of his people. So whenever we study church history, we're studying the history of our own people, no matter what stripe they are. If I'm studying Presbyterian history, again, the through line is the gospel. If we have the gospel right, then that's our history. I'm not going to study heretical movements and call that my history, but anytime you have gospel fidelity and you have the people of God, um, that's our history. That's who we are together in Christ. And so we we are meant to, to learn this history, to know this history. And when you read the Bible, the Bible is a work of history. Why does God tell so many stories? Why does God give the history of Israel? Why does God give uh, Hebrews 11, the hall of faith? Why does he show us uh, over and over again these different examples of, of flawed yet redeemed people? Well, the point is to point us back to the one true uh, person who is perfect in all ways, and that's Christ. Mm. So all of, of history, all of church history, all of biography, Christian biography, is designed to point us and give us examples of faith, but point us back to Christ and use it as a tool. So God loves history. Otherwise, the Bible, he wouldn't have written the Bible that way. So if we are to, to love what God loves and God loves history, then we should at least learn it and love it our, ourselves. And, um, and why not study the history of those who have gone before us? 
Uh, I will say that's a very humbling thing because mm-hmm. we tend to be very, uh, very prideful in ourselves and think that we're the first ones who've done X, Y, Z. Well, the truth is, is that there's really nothing new under the sun. And uh, we can learn from people's mistakes. We can learn from seeing the hand of providence in people's lives. We can be encouraged and in faith. We can see the fellow sufferings of other believers and we can apply it to our own lives. There's so much value in knowing history. And even one more point, even doctrinal history, when you study the early church contending for core uh, biblical doctrine, I mean, this is, this is an issue of orthodoxy versus heresy, mm. the nature of Christ, the person of Christ, the Trinity. Uh, without knowing that history, we're doomed to repeat it. And why do we have so many cults and so many heresies that are recirculating today? Well, because people are ignorant of orthodoxy in history. Mm. Um, the, the book I have coming out from Christian Focus uh, very soon is called Christ and Creed, and it's, a, it's an exposition, an introduction of the early church creeds. Mm. Uh, we are meant to know these things. I think these are really important for us. Uh, the history and creeds, they don't take the place of Scripture, but I'll tell you, though, they bear witness to the truth of Scripture, and uh, in all of church history— uh, bears witness to the providential hand of God, and we are blessed to know it and study it. You know, most Christians today, maybe maybe that's, maybe I'm being too generous there, but quite a few Christians today would uh, understand the importance of studying Scripture <clears throat> with, with other believers, right? With your local church, uh, in a Bible study, in a small group, whatever it is, uh, the importance of, of studying Scripture with others, not just by yourself, um, is important. And I think one of the things that I love about the study of church history is it, it's basically choosing to study scripture with uh, an even broader selection of the church. Um, it's the mm. historic church. It's people who might not be alive today, but I'm participating in the study of scripture with them as we read people from the past. And, and we can grow that way just in the same way that we can grow in the study of scripture with uh, people that we go to church with or our friends and family. Um, thank you for that. I, I appreciate that, uh, plead or urge to, to study church history. Um, I love it. it. It's, it's what I'm working my master's on. It's important to me. Um, but for people that aren't necessarily going to go, uh, get a degree in it or, or study it in a more professional level, I appreciate everything that you were saying and just how important it is uh, for your average Christian to have an understanding of, of what happened before now. <laughs> and I think right. that's something that your book does very well uh, for somebody like that, right? Maybe they don't want to go and read uh, really academic resources, um, but so, your book provides a nice intro, a nice overview of the, of the Reformation. And then maybe by reading the footnotes, uh, by by looking at different references you make, they might be able to dive into different aspects of of the Reformation that uh, they wouldn't have known about or wouldn't have known where, known where to start beforehand. Yeah, I'd love it if Why We're Protestant became a gateway for people to get into further reading. I mean, Absolutely. that would be, yeah. that's the best way to do it. I mean, I think, uh, just one more point too, and you talk about the figures of church history, Every chapter of Why We're Protestant features one of the Reformers, mm. and I, I center the doctrine around the story of their life. So Sola Scriptura is William Tyndale, um, and I have a chapter on Luther, a chapter on Calvin, a chapter on Zwingli. Uh, and again, I mean, to go and even just read biographies of their life, you know, I give a little tiny taste, but it's meant to drive you back to studying more. So 
Um, I mean, that's really the, that's the, the greatest goal that any writer could have is that you take the topic and you keep on going for mm-hmm. yourself. Uh, let this not be the be all end all, but let it be only the beginning for a person to study. And if that, if that serves that purpose, then I'm a happy man. That's wonderful. Well, as, as we conclude here, uh, what's the best place for people to, to purchase the book? I, I bought it off Amazon. I'm not sure if that's uh, the best, the best place to purchase it though. Um, yeah, Amazon's fine. I think, uh, you know, if you go to any bookseller, I mean, a lot of these books, um, they can go right to the Christian Focus website. Okay. I know that, uh, Westminster Books has it, Reformation Heritage has it. So uh, okay. anywhere that they feel comfortable purchasing Christian books should have it available. Okay. That, that sounds wonderful. Um, at the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned, uh, the American Puritans that, that you co-wrote with Dustin Benj. I mentioned how to eat your Bible that you've written. Um, do you want to plug a couple other books here that you, you said you've mentioned, you mentioned six, is that right? Yeah. So I wrote reviving new England. Then I wrote why we're Protestants, uh, American Puritans, how to eat your Bible. Then I wrote a biography on RC Sproul that came out mm. last year with H and E publishing. And that was a great joy to write that. And then I have a book on the creeds coming out next year. And then I'm working on another one for a different publisher and I'm just chipping away and trying to write as much as I can and provide as many resources for the church as I possibly can. So uh, anytime anyone reads anything I've written, it's a tremendous blessing and a joy for me. Uh, I, I love it. I love that I get to be uh, sort of a guide. I get to come alongside somebody else and just kind of show them what I'm studying and show them what I'm learning and, uh, and hopefully encouraging them uh, to learn as well. So uh, I love that I get to be part of that process. That's a great joy. Well, that's, that's wonderful. We, I, I really love everything that I've read by you, um, including some, some blog posts and things as well. I would encourage others, anybody listening to, to first, first and foremost, check out why we're Protestant. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I can't recommend highly enough how to eat your Bible, um, w- was very helpful to me. Thank you very much for coming on today, Nate. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Eric. It's good to be with you. All right. Good good to be with you as well. Thank you for listening to Concerning Him, an Emmaus podcast. Ministries like Concerning Him are possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu slash partner.